Welcome to the Build with Brabeck podcast, where we dig deep into real, raw, and honest conversations with people that are making moves, making change, and making their own version of their very best life. And teaching you how to build the same. Covering all things health, wellness, anti-diet culture, body positivity, and so much more. Here's your host, Amanda Brabeck. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Build with Brayback podcast. It's Amanda. I hope you're having a fabulous week. Um, I have got to be honest, I just recorded a 20-minute intro that I felt so amazing about, and it only saved the first four minutes. So I did start off this episode feeling extremely chipper and feeling real good and now I'm a little pissed off I'm not gonna lie but the show must go on and technological difficulties happen so let's do it again um all right highs and lows so my low I would say is that I that happened again I got COVID again I did I dodged it for two years and I've had it twice in 2022, um, which is bullshit. But um, I think it ties so beautifully, just so seamlessly to this episode because um, one of the biggest takeaways is that we are overcomplicating nutrition. And I would definitely say so because... I'm over here. I wouldn't say I am a like beacon of health, um, but I am a fitness professional and I definitely am, you know, conscientious to a degree about what I eat, how I eat, how often, whatever. Um, Again, I eat a plethora of foods and I have very much healed or like very much worked on my relationship with food. So I'm definitely not just eating like fruits and vegetables all day, every day. Um, but I would definitely say more conscientious than my beloved husband is. And I've caught it twice. And both times I have not quarantined within our apartment, like away from him. Like I quarantined in my apartment, of course, I'm not running around these streets, but, um, we both, both times I'm like, you're probably going to get it anyways. Both times he has not like. This man lives off of potatoes and cheese, potatoes and cheese, potatoes of all forms, roasted, French, home, hash browns, um, any and every kind, potato chips, and then cheese on everything. And like... Part of that, I would say, is my fault because I am not the perfect wife and I definitely don't cook a nice meal every single night. And I'm saying that with a caveat is that does not a perfect wife make. Um, And like, I am a modern woman. I'm busy. So my cooking pretty much like on a school night entails a like yummy frozen side or two from Trader Joe's and then I'll cook a protein. Okay. And it does the trick. 
So I'm not saying he's like eating super unhealthy all the time. I'm just saying maybe potatoes and cheese are the key to a bulletproof immune system. Um, no, Rachel really doesn't say that, but she does say that we overcomplicate it, which I totally agree with. Um, but my high, I would say is that, you know, cause we have to look at the bright sides of these things. Um, being forced to quarantine for five days in my house, um, really forced me to kind of take a hard look at the way that I've been living and take the time to slow down and kind of like reevaluate, regroup, reorganize. So I did a ton of reorganizing in the house, like totally organized my drawers and my closet, switched out my summer clothes, put my winter clothes away, made a donation bag and like organized our entryway since it's like right in our living room. It's literally just like the corner of our living room. So like I'm looking at it all the time. Um, and that re definitely really does make an impact on your mental state for sure. So going into this week, that felt really great, but I'm not going to lie. I feel like, I don't know. And I talked about it on here. I have had this like anxiety that I've never really had before. And, um, I think a huge part of that is just the way that I am living and like running my day to day. Um, not if you can hear Poe, he is taking a little walk over here. Hello, buddy. Um, and like looking at what am I saying yes to? What am I saying no to? What am I doing to set myself up? And thinking about like the types of people that. I would like to emulate or be like, or the types of people that have the things that I want and are doing the things that I want to do and what do they value and what are their habits like and all of that. Um, which I think is a huge game changer in terms of whatever it is that you're looking for. Um, you know, if you want to have a better relationship with your body, if you want to be a morning person, all of those kinds of things. If you look at the people that are those things or are doing things that you want um, in like a value-based way, it can be super helpful. Um, so I really took like the five days and tried to like organize a lot of my business stuff, block off times in my calendars to work on specific things, saying no to certain things. And that also is such a huge mindset shift of instead of just saying yes to everything that will earn me a buck or two um, immediately so I can open up space to invest time um, and effort into the things that will eventually make me money if I can take the time to invest in them um, and the things that I want to be doing in the long run. And it's a scary shift to make, but a very impactful one, I would say. So that feels good. A little scary, but I definitely like went into this week feeling just, I don't know, a lot more at peace, a lot less stress, trying to like keep that mindset of like one day at a time, one hour at a time, being very intentional with my time, not overpacking my to-do list or my schedule. It just feels good. 
Um, and then really quickly before we get to the episode, I just want to talk a little bit about some pop culture stuff because I want to talk more about that stuff on here when it comes to body image and health and wellness because that's a lot of the stuff that we're consuming on the day-to-day and I would just be remiss if we didn't also discuss it on here and, you know, think about it all a little critically. So I saw this interview with Zac Efron and I don't know if it was a super recent interview or it was just like, you know, a random video clip that was circulating on like my explore page or something. Um, but it He basically was just saying, and I thought it was such a beautiful contrast to the recent Kim Kardashian, Marilyn Monroe situation. Um, And like I've said before, I am not a Kardashian basher, but I'm also not a Kardashian apologist. And I think that you can look at these situations critically without like villainizing a person. Um, because I don't think they're like the end all be all of the issues with our like beauty standards and all of that. I don't think that they've necessarily helped a ton, but we can't blame them for everything. So I digress. So basically Zac Efron was talking about his role in um, the Baywatch movie and how he will literally never be that ripped again. And he goes into not necessarily detail about what he did, but he was very honest about the hardships um, and how much of a struggle it was to build that body, if you will. Like, you know, having to work out for hours a day, multiple times a day, watching even your water intake so you don't, you're not holding on to too much water weight on your stomach really, really restricting heavily. Um, And he was so honest about how miserable it was and how, yes, he did it for a role. And it was like, maybe cool to see himself like that. But the measures that had to be taken to get there were just simply not worth it because he was just so fucking miserable and obsessive to the point of, like I said, obsessing over even how much water you can drink. And he's like, that's no way to live. And I felt like his commentary on that was so different than the Kim commentary on it, where she really highlighted what she did in like a celebratory way of like, look how hard I worked. I'm so proud of myself, which is fine. It's fine. But instead of being like, listen, I had to only focus on that. It was miserable. It wasn't worth it. Um, I don't suggest anyone does that. Like, and he said it, said those things in such a way of like, you see these people on the movie screens and you don't see what they're doing in the background to prepare for these roles. And a regular person should not look like that because who can focus their whole life and who wants to focus their whole life? You know what I mean? Um, so I just love that contrast. And I also loved just the perspective, um, like male perspective on body image is really interesting to me because it's not something that's talked about often. Um, I wouldn't say that guys like have it worse than us because they also 
are men in a patriarchal society. So like, it just can't be as bad for them. But I can recognize the struggle that is the fact that it's not talked about and it's not normalized to um, talk about it. They can't typically talk about it with their friends. They don't have a lot of representation of like regular looking guys. I would say like the popularity of the dad bod really works in their favor, but these conversations are important to have. So I just thought it was interesting. I'll try to find it and maybe link to it in the show notes um, or post it on the Instagram. I'll probably just do that because that'll be easier. Uh, but enjoy this episode. I know it's a doozy. I know it's a long one, but Rachel gives so many research-based, information-backed nutrition, um, exercise, health, advice, information. Um, and in a world where we are surrounded by wellness bullshit, I think this conversation is really important. And this is basically the whole reason why I started the podcast because you can go to a million other podcasts and they have all these different guests that are telling you about problems that you didn't even know that you had and basically selling you expensive, time-consuming, unattainable products, um, procedures, services, all these things that you didn't know that you should be doing and making you feel like you're lesser for not doing them. Um, because it's, wellness is an industry. It's a booming industry. It's an extension of the diet industry. And I think that if I can help to push out voices like Rachel's, it's only going to help us all. So stick with it. Listen to it over the course of two days if you need to. Um, but I love this conversation and I think it's wonderful. Um, and I hope that you like it too. All right. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. I will see you next week. Peace and blessings. Today's guest solves the problem of wellness ping pong by offering a sane voice and credible guidance in a land of shiny objects and things that spin. She is an educator, fitness instructor, nutrition and physical activity researcher, Lululemon ambassador, and wellness expert. She works as an assistant professor of human performance at Norwich University, but formerly was a nutrition professor at Simmons and research fellow at the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine at Harvard. She serves as co-chair of the American College of Sports Medicine, Exercise is Medicine Education Committee, was the interim executive director for the Prescription for Activity Task Force, and serves on the American Council on Exercise Industry Advisory Panel. She also works with ACE to develop NBHWC-approved health coaching cur curriculum for clinicians, fitness professionals, and universities. She has been featured in Popular Science, Forbes, U.S. News and World Report, The Boston Globe, Time Magazine, Eating Well, NPR, Women's Health, Shape, Huffington Post, and more. With all of her free time, clearly, she also is the founder of Strong Process, a Boston-based wellness education platform designed to integrate evidence-based knowledge into the health and wellness space. Oh my gosh. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rachel Bajednik. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. 
I'm so excited to have you. Um, thank you for taking the time because I'm sure you don't have much of it. According to that intro, I feel like, do we even have any time left to talk? Like, that's it. Wipe your hands. <laughs> that was Rachel. <laughs> Friday afternoons are good for me. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Um, okay. Well, I love also, before we get into like the good stuff, is to ask my guests what their highs of the week are and what their lows of the week were or like couple weeks. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Um, I think my lows and highs are kind of the same right now. So we are coming into the last couple of weeks of the semester here at Norwich. And mm-hmm. so my lows are definitely that everybody is scrambling to get everything done. And I've got a million things to grade and all of my students are freaking out, making sure that they get everything in at the last second, which yes. they always do, um, which is also the high of the week because I'm, you know, taking out my red pen and I'm crossing out the days until literally the end of the semester. So it's, yes. it's a busy, busy time, but it's exciting that it's almost done. Yes. So exciting. Oh, I remember those days, the best feeling. Um, is that your full-time position? Yeah, and exactly. Then- so, yep. I'm a professor up at Norwich university in central Vermont nice. and I'm the director of the exercise science program up here. So um, I teach, yeah. So it's a really unique place up here. So if you don't know Norwich, it is a senior military academy. So about two thirds of our student body are uniformed and they are going to serve in the US military, all the different branches, which is actually, yeah, it's pretty awesome for me to be up here because it's a little test kitchen for all of the research that I do. So my research is really focused on muscle and performance and recovery. And so I have, you know, thousands of future warfighters up here that are looking to optimize and maximize performance and recovery. So we've been doing a lot of good, really, uh, really good work up here. Yeah. That is like the perfect pool of people for you to have to set your fingertips. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I would love to start with your background because I feel like it's really interesting to speak with a nutrition expert, if you will, um, that didn't choose to go like the clinical route or more of like the traditional route that you see people take going into like being a dietitian or this or that. So as yeah, much or as little um, as you'd like to share. Yeah. I have a really kind of all over the place background. So I actually started out in exercise. Um, I went and moved to Boston. I'm from a really small town in the middle of Massachusetts and moved to Boston for my undergrad, went to Northeastern and really got excited about exercise and a little bit about nutrition. But even then I wasn't really that into it. Went um, and I thought I was going to go to medical school. And then it turns out that was really not in the cards for me. It was yep. not, it started to work at all the hospitals in the area. And I was like, mm, this is really, I don't want to work <laughs> plus hours a week. And um, it just kind of turned out that it was not the right path for me. And so I was a little bit lost after I, for my whole life was like, I'm going to go to medical school. I'm going to be a cardiologist, like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I had my life planned out for me. And then when I realized that that was not really what I wanted to do, I had kind of a crisis of yeah, it's like a whole identity shift. <laughs> totally. And so I actually started teaching um, middle school science and took a job um, as a strength and conditioning coach for a private school just south of Boston and absolutely fell in love with teaching. Just really, really enjoyed it. And I was teaching middle schoolers and they were just like the joy of my life. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved them. 
But I also realized after being there for about four or five years that it wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't enough. That's not really the fair way to do it. I just kind of knew that I wanted to do something else with the rest of my life. So they were super generous. And I went back to school when I was teaching there and I went to BU and I got a master's degree in physical education and coaching. Um, and it was interesting because the coaching part, uh, I thought it was going to be a lot of athletic coaching, but it really was more leaning toward positive psychology, motivational interviewing, a lot of, um, a lot of fundamentals of what kind of formed the rest of my identity in my career. So that was a really interesting time. And then from there transitioned to doing a second master's at Tufts in the nutrition and exercise physiology and sarcopenia lab. And so by the time I got there, I realized, all right, I'm kind of getting an idea of what I want to do. I love teaching, but I don't want to teach middle school anymore, even though I love them. And I started to get this idea that I wanted to be a professor and I wanted to continue teaching. But I was also truly in love with the science behind exercise and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so my program there was in biochemical and molecular nutrition, exercise physiology. And that's where things just really started to click. I could see, and I think about this all the time, my, my brain thinks in Venn diagrams. And so I could see the exercise side and the research that I was doing over there. And then at Tufts, it's a nutrition school and how nutrition was so critically important to informing exercise and vice versa. And so that's where things really started to hum along. Um, and I really started to identify with how you could use nutrition interventions to enhance exercise performance. And at the time mm -hmm. I was looking at older adults. So we were looking at people that were 80, 90, hundred years old. We had them in the weight room. They were doing explosive oh strength training. <laughs> yeah. We were giving them protein. We were giving them vitamin D. It was super, super fun. And, um, from there, when I graduated, I did a postdoc over at Harvard and I started working with people that have type two diabetes. And this is where I was like, oh, muscle is so critically important to aging. But by the time I'm seeing people at the Jocelyn or, you know, they're 80, 90 years old, it's never too late. Let me just back that up. It's never yeah, too late to start exercising and, and doing nutrition, um, interventions. And, you know, you can see amazing effects in older adults. But I started to think, oh, we're just getting to it a little bit too late. Mm -hmm. And I really started to think about prevention. So that's when I took a job at Simmons University. That was my first professor job and started to teach future dietitians. And it was really awesome because at the time, the curriculum that they had was really nutrition centric. And I taught all kinds of really fun nutrition courses, food science and um, molecular biology that looks at nutrition. Um, and nutrient metabolism, all these really awesome courses, but I got to introduce exercise to this group. And so I have all these future dietitians that are like learning everything that they can about nutrition and then seeing oh, nutrition and exercise and muscle and the body are so critically intertwined. Yeah. And that's where everything really just started to become clear for me because the part that I've left out up until this point is to get myself through all of these grad schools that I went through for the past 10 years, I became a really active member in the Boston fitness scene. And so mostly through teaching spinning, but prior mm -hmm. to that, um, I actually, my first foray into the fitness industry in Boston, and I'm dating myself, you won't even <laughs> 
is I was a personal trainer at age 18 in the Valley Total Fitness in the basement of the Porter Square building. You don't even, it's not like, even there anymore. The name kind of sounds familiar, but I also <laughs> didn't even move to Boston until like 2014. Yeah, so like, like, yeah. Like way before your time. I don't yeah. even think it's a company anymore. And so alongside of all this science and, you know, education component that I'm coming across through my journey, I was at the same time working in this space in fitness where the magic happens, mm -hmm. right? And so you get all of these super enthusiastic, amazing humans waking up at 3.34 in the morning to make sure that they're there for their clients. That was me, you know, on the red line, going out to Porter Square, all the way up to teaching um, right until the pandemic started at Flywheel Sports in Boston and, mm -hmm. um, you know, really being one of the early studio fitness instructor or spin instructors in the city with recycle, just kind of like all totally. of these and seeing these two worlds parallel each other, but never talking to one another. And this was the part that my brain just started to really explode mm -hmm. is like I said, my brain works in Venn diagrams, right? And so I'm seeing exercise and nutrition work so well in the science space and the education space. And I'm seeing the practitioners in the wellness and fitness space, you know, up at five in the morning doing their thing. And I'm like, why are these people not connecting? And this is when we start to see all of these wellness fads and yeah, we will talk about claims. those. <laughs> yeah, totally. All the claims starting to come out and social media really starting to take hold. And so this is where like everything when I was at Simmons just came together. And it was like, your purpose in this world is to connect these two spaces so that they're not siloed so that we get the good research, the good information, the good education to the practitioners that are doing the amazing work on the ground. And that's where, you know, 20 some odd years later, it takes that long mm -hmm. before you start to click and be like, I see where all of the pieces are starting to fit together. Yeah. And then I blew it all up during COVID. <laughs> As so many of us did. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and so when COVID hit, my husband and I, we have a little cabin. It's a house. He keeps telling me not to call it a cabin, but it's in the woods <laughs> yeah. um, up here in Vermont. And so when COVID hit in March, we were like, oh, we'll go up for a couple of weeks. We'll be there. Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. the curve. Totally. Everything will be fine. We'll be back to Boston. Everything will be normal. A year and a half later, we're all still online. I'm still teaching all my classes online. And we just kind of got to the point where we were like, we really want to go back to the grind in Boston. We kind of yeah. got released to the, so we live in a ski town. It's like a super fun place to be. And we're like, I don't know, maybe yeah. we'll just pull the plug and come up here. And at that particular moment, you know, the universe provides, right? And so at that moment, I was looking around for jobs up here at the different universities and here at Norwich there was the exercise program director job that opened. And I was like, I feel like the universe screaming at me. Mm -hmm. um, and so now the cool thing is I get to start working in that prevention space. So I get to start working with these um, future warfighters that are, you know, their jobs, we call them tactical athletes. Um, their jobs are to be healthy and strong for a yeah. long period of time. And so I get to start thinking about shifting my work and my research into really helping this population, which aligns so beautifully with all the work that I did with fitness and wellness and still does, is that's the whole point of fitness and wellness is that we're getting people healthy. We're motivating them to yeah. stay and be healthy for the long term. So 
I kind of feel like after like the eureka moment that I had, the universe opened this space for me up here and I'm actually able to take everything that I've been learning through the past 20 years and really apply it. So like I said, it's circuitous to get up here, but like just learning things at every moment and starting to figure out who you are and what you want to be, it kind of just came to a point where it was like, it became obvious and, and my journey and my passion just became super linear. Yeah. I love that so much. I mean, whether you're in healthcare, fitness, whatever, I feel like so many of us, especially because it's put into our heads from a very young age, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your whole life? Um, we feel like when we're making those decisions, this is like the end all be all. You can't start over. You can't change gears, but you can constantly evolve and change. And, you know, you stayed along the same general topic, <laughs> but found so many different ways to grow and learn and, you know, expand. And I just think that's a great example and reminder that we all need to remember, especially myself. <laughs> and I'll tell you like those twists and turns sound very purposeful. They weren't like there were moments where it was like the door was slammed in my face and it was like, I got to figure something else yeah. out. And so the good thing is, is that by being able to get creative and seek other opportunities, like you said, kind of on the same path, but you know, different things. I'm looking at people that are 80. I'm looking at people that have type two diabetes. I'm looking at soldiers now, you know, yeah. you can find the red thread through all of those things, which is really important, but it's also critically important to step back and be like, I, I am going to learn something really new about this. And what I have found at this point, and this is a comment that people make about me all the time is I'm not a super specialist, like within this world, I'm kind of a generalist mm -hmm. and having that range of education of experience really provides me with the opportunity to seek out different opportunities as they come up because yeah. I don't, I'm not pigeonholed into a really straight line. Yeah. And I feel like we also hear that a lot of like, find your niche and, you yeah. know, pick your one very teeny tiny topic, but, and that's great if you have, like, you know, that that is what you're passionate about and you just want to do that one thing, but it also can be intimidating if you're like but I like this and I also like this and I'm interested in that too and to yeah, find totally. a way of bringing it really all together. Mm -hmm. yeah definitely but I definitely want to dig into some of that like connectivity work that yeah. you're doing um I know specifically before we started we were talking about um nutrition for healthcare professionals and I feel like that is such a topic that maybe it's like the circles that I run in, but you know, you doctors almost get like this bad rap of like, well, they only are jumping to, you know, prescribing medicine when like, that's what they're trained to do. So it's like doctors aren't bad and dietitians aren't like the end all be all, but how can we give them both, you know, the information um, to help their patients in a better way. So yeah. I would love for you to tell me a little bit more about what you're doing with that. Yeah, totally. So one of the areas of research that I have, like I said, you know, being an educator was my very first passion, realizing that education was so critical to who I was as a person, but also be becoming educated, but also learning how to become an educator. 
Um, when I started working in the exercise and nutrition space and I was working in the hospitals in Boston, it became quite clear that many of the healthcare providers, and I'm not talking about dietitians because their niche, if you will, is nutrition, but all of the other providers for the most part, do not get any kind of education on nutrition and exercise. Which is so crazy. It's crazy. It really is. I'll, I'll tell you, there is a very famous medical school that is in Boston, arguably one of the best medical schools in the world. We'll let it be nameless for now. But um, when I was early on in my, uh, when I just first become a professor, I was asked to teach a nutrition course at this very famous medical school over the summer. And this was, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago now. And they took all of the second year medical students and they gave them three, you heard it straight, three classes. And I don't mean courses. I mean, like physical classes. Exactly. Over the summer where they learned nutrition. Right. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you the majority of that time was learning about obesity medicine, but that was literally the arguably best medical students in the world were getting on nutrition and they got zero, zero information about exercise. And so so crazy, crazy, (laughs) super crazy. And so I started teaching, that's like not even the end of this crazy story is so I started teaching this and we're teaching it two years in a row. And then two years after I started teaching it, arguably the best medical school in the country canceled the course. And they were like, oh, we'll figure out how to teach nutrition and all of the other coursework. So you're like, so you definitely just aren't teaching it at all, (laughs) not teaching it to this day. They have not reinstated any nutrition course. And that's so crazy to me because it's like you hear so much about, you know, using BMI as like an indicator of health and overlooking really important medical information to just prescribe weight loss, but not having any information on like helping their patients like maybe find like a movement routine and learn how to eat better or even just like look at major indicators of health beyond just their BMI. Yeah, totally. And you know, it's interesting. So my, my doctorate work is in nutritional biochemistry, which is basically looking at the very intricate pathways in your body. So if you eat a specific vitamin or you eat a specific nutrient, what actually happens, like what, Mm. what is the stepwise progression of how, you know, vitamin D gets calcium into your blood, your bones, right? And so the crazy thing is, is that those pathways mimic the pharmaceutical pathways exactly. Mm -hmm. So the thing that's really a missed opportunity in many of these clinical courses, and you could say this for nurses, for PTs, for physicians, all across the board is that, and this is the way that I teach it now is I teach those two pathways side by side. So if you give insulin as a drug to somebody that has type two diabetes, this is how it works. Yeah. If you exercise, this is how that that pathway is also activated. And you can Mm -hmm. see when you're working with these clinicians, they're like, why did I never learn this? I can't believe that just, you know, and I'm not saying don't take your, you know, Exercise and pharmaceuticals are obviously going to work together. But when you think about those things and you can see the actual mechanism and being able to speak that language with the physicians or the clinicians, totally, you can really have a different conversation with them. And then the other cool thing is you can say, Hey, 
we want to get your patients exercising and you have 15 minutes to talk to them because the insurance companies are limiting the amount of time that you right. can spend with your patients, which is a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but what I try to get to do is say to them, you need to create a network of fitness professionals that you mm -hmm. trust to send your people to, which does two things. One, it gets their patient exercising. And two, it starts to fill the book of business of all of the fitness professionals in the area that are looking to do privates and they're looking to, you know, charge money for their yeah. amazing um, offering that they can give to people that really need this kind of work. So yeah. it really works for all the different circles. It's just getting, getting this Venn diagram together where things are overlapping. Yeah. I love that so much. Cause I feel like even as a personal trainer, I mean, I definitely see it a lot of personal trainers that are like, you know, giving out meal plans and a lot of nutrition advice that's like way out of their scope of practice. Um, but like, even just having dietitians that you trust to refer your clients to and opening up that circle, it seems like such a obvious relationship that we all should be having with each other. Yeah, totally. And, you know, to the point too of, I, I do think it's critically important that we all stay in our lane and we have yeah. a scope of practice a hundred percent. So for example, if somebody comes to me, I have a PhD in nutrition, but if somebody comes to me and they're like, I have this medical diagnosis that needs medical nutrition therapy. I'm like calling up my RD friends and I'm referring out to somebody that has a medical license to, to right. work with it, right? That being said, I think the thing with the fitness industry is fitness and exercise, nutrition and exercise go together, mm -hmm. right? Like we, we know this, I knew it intuitively before I started this. And so right. personal trainers, in, you know, group fitness instructors, spin instructors, Pilates instructors, bootcamp instructors are always going to ask, get asked the question, what should I be eating before class? What should I be eating to lose weight? What should I be eating to gain weight? Should I be taking this supplement? And that's a really normal question for clients to be mm -hmm. asking because they're turning to somebody that they see is an expert in this space of health. Right. Right. And so this is where I've been working over the last year or so. So this was a big COVID project for me is putting together a nutrition course for fitness professionals so yeah. that they get the basics. That's and so, amazing. yeah, so it was really awesome. Literally like three seconds before COVID hit, we had an in-person six week long nutrition course for fitness professionals that happened at the Lululemon on Newbury street. Mm -hmm. And I actually remember you doing that because I wanted to sign up and I had some conflict on like every single class. And I was like, this is so annoying. This would be perfect. Totally. I, so that was a big problem because it was in person and fitness instructors have such weird schedules. Like yeah. when are you teaching? When is that that somebody else teaching? So I had it at like at a funny hour. I think it was at two o'clock in the afternoon on like a Thursday or something. Yeah. Um, so it was, I thought I was like, there's a need here. I don't know if it's, this is, if people are really interested in it, but literally every week sold out in 30 seconds. And I was yeah. like, okay, I see that there is a there's hunger something. here. For, <laughs> yeah. For fitness professionals that really just want to understand the basics and they want the truth. They don't want mm -hmm. the BS that they're getting on TikTok or on social media, or, you know, people just kind of, should I be having this supplement yeah. or that supplement or whatever? Like what juice is hot today? And so this, it was really, really well received. And then COVID hit and it kind of got put on the back burner, but Lululemon is so generous. They helped me figure out how to get it online. And so that's what I've been working on for the past well, I would say eight months or so. And we just 
launched a pre-registration for it about three weeks ago. So we've got our first tiny cohort going through just kind of beta testing it all, but it's practically a semester long course on nutrition. It's 12 modules long. It's based on the course that I teach at Harvard. Um, and it's really designed to touch on all of the nutrition fundamentals, number one, mm-hmm. but number two, all of the fad stuff that's going on right now. Yes. So we take a deep dive into gut health and brain mm-hmm. health and the ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting and anti-inflammatory diets. And so we are looking at it from the research side, making it super applicable to the fitness wellness space so that when personal trainers or instructors get these questions, they can be like, I have at least a basic understanding to be able to answer them because you can't be referring out every time somebody no, asks. Of course. Question, right? So, and the other thing that it helps people do is sniff out the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, are we allowed to swear? Yeah, say anything okay. that you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it allows people to be like, I, I'm seeing this thing on social media. Does this make sense? Right. Based on what I've learned, would this particular supplement diet? pill, powder, whatever, actually do what it's saying. Right. It can do. Like, can that logically happen? Because most of the time when you look at those, they're making claims that yeah. physiologically <laughs> are impossible. So yes, we'll help people sort of sniff that out as well. Yeah. Which is so important because there is just so much information out there. And I feel like like I, you know, grew up in like the 90s and early 2000s and there was a lot like growing up in the like obesity epidemic era of, you know, Dr. Oz kind of stuff and getting information from there, which was like, you didn't realize how much BS it was because it was like, it's a talk show with an expert. It all must be so real. But now it's on this whole other, you know, giant scope of like it's on TikTok, it's on instagram it's on tv it's on facebook it's like and things just can be shared and spread like wildfire so it's really hard to keep up and it's also now shifted because i think all of us are a little bit more like privy to when we are being you know tricked and you know told like you need to do this and then you'll finally like yourself like you can't just say it like that anymore so now it's like diet culture disguised as wellness culture so obviously this isn't really a question that can be answered succinctly but how would you just for like the average person suggest that we like decipher through the bullshit, for lack of a better term like what should we actually focus on or worry about rather than like, okay, I need to be taking this supplement because or else my gut health will just be crazy. And then my mental health will be bad. And then, you know, like you just go down the rabbit holes. Yeah. So I think one thing to think about is that the, um, the goal of sales Mm -hmm. is to create a problem for somebody and then solve that problem for them. Right. So if you are looking at something and it's like your gut is probably leaking because blah, blah, blah. And here's the solution to that problem. That should be just alarm bell number one Mm -hmm. that they've kind of led with this thing that like, oh, my God, I've never even heard of this thing before. Could this be happening to me? Yeah. Right. 
that should be flag number one of, I've never even heard of this before. How could it be possible? And this is where we get all of the claims of the day, right? So first, and I use leaky gut because it's just easy, right? So yep. leaky gut was the one like from like six, seven years ago. That's old news now, right? But now it's gut health. Yeah. And now it's gut microbiome, right? <laughs> yeah. And now it's the gut brain axis. And these things are all real. This is the thing that's hard to decipher is everything that you're seeing is based in a shred of truth, mm-hmm. right? So for example, we know that the gut speaks to the brain, right? Mm-hmm. How that's actually happening, we're not 100% sure yet. There's a nerve that's, you know, the vagus nerve is going to go down to your gut. There's hormones that are speaking. There's these short chain fatty acids. Mm-hmm. Every gut's a little bit different than every other gut. So like it, there's a lot of complexity here. So when you see, first of all, so step number one to red flags is somebody's created a problem for you and they've also given you a solution. Be really careful of that. Yeah. The other piece is taking a, a complicated issue and making it super simple is red flag number two. So mm-hmm. when you think, for example, about gut health, right? And I'm going to use that and the broad term that everybody is sort of using. You could fill in balance your hormones or brain fog or all of these other things, right? That are like yeah. super, we're going to give a broad name to this, but we're not going to really tell you what it is, but then we're going to give you the solution for it. Also right. be really careful about that because your body is unbelievable, man. Your body is so cool when you dive yes. deep into it. And I think that's why we're all in this space and in this field, because we are completely in awe of what our body can do. Yeah. That being said, it's incredibly complex. And so when we think about something like gut health, are we talking about the little cells that are in your gut, your cells? Are we talking about the bacteria that's in your gut? Are we talking mm-hmm. about the food that you've eaten, the nutrition that you've gotten? Are we talking about any kind of environmental exposure that you've had? Are we talking about the signaling? Are we talking about the nerve? So like, there's just so many complex issues. A hundred percent. Which brings me back to the general rule of thumb for exercise and nutrition. Nutrition is actually way more simple than people make it out to be. And I probably should not give this away because people aren't going to take my course. <laughs> in general, eating foods that are fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, a little bit of meat, maybe a little bit of dairy, maybe a little bit of olive oil and sometimes chocolate cake. Yeah. Like that's the answer. That is actually the answer. And I know that people don't want to hear that. And there's, of course, there's nuance to be like, well, when you eat protein, this happens. When you eat fat, this happens, of course. And take my course if you want to understand exactly how that works. But when we look at what you should be eating, that is the backbone. It's been the backbone for 50, 60, 70 years. And despite the fact that we're learning nuance, that general recommendation hasn't changed. Yeah. Same goes for exercise. Move your body. Like right. however your body feels good to move, do it. If you have a specific goal, you want to run Boston Marathon, you're going to need to do more than go for a walk. But right. if you don't want to run Boston Marathon and going for a walk on a beautiful day makes you feel great, do that. Like that counts as exercise. It doesn't totally. have to be like the most sweaty, high intensity thing. 
But that being yeah. said, if you're like a super competitive person and you're like, like I was, yeah. and, and I'm like, I'm teaching at Flywheel and I love that board and I love the pounding music and I want to compete every time I go in there. Yeah, and that do that, brain, do it. Yeah. Right. You I do that all the time too. Resistance train, right? Like, right. It's just, we overcomplicate it also because, you know, all of these companies and everything are creating these problems in our mind. And it's a little bit more like, I don't know, sexy to like have these specific things that like, oh, I'm doing the hot new thing, blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, having the trust in our bodies that like we can take care of it pretty simply and it's not gonna most of the time fall apart. <laughs> and I think you know? the part that like layers onto this that complicates things a little bit. And this is where, again, we come back to the clinician and medical space is clinicians doctors, nurses, dietitians, anybody that's in that space has been taught very purposefully to not give you an exact answer. And I know yeah. that sounds crazy, but the reason for that is the answer for you is going to be different than the answer for somebody else. It's different than the answer from somebody else. And mm -hmm. this is where I think people get super frustrated and they start to look for the exact answer. And so yeah. It's frustrating for them when they go to the doctor and the doctor's like, it could be this, it could be that we're going to do a bunch of things to rule it out. Or they're going to maybe the wrong doctor that doesn't really understand their particular issue or whatever, which is why it's really important to find a clinician that you trust. Yeah. Um, but this is where we start to see, like, you see this a lot. And I think this is why gut health is so hot right now is that you get a lot of people that are diagnosed, for example, with IBS, right? Right. But that's IBS, like super general. Like Exactly. It's a catch-all. And part yeah. of the reason that is what's causing your bloating is going to be different than that's causing the bloating next to the person you know, next to you, which is going to be different than what's causing the bloating. And so when you go to the GI doc and they're like, it could be a variety of these things, you want to pull your hair out and be like, just tell me how right. to do this. I'm miserable. Yeah. And so this is where you turn on your social media and it's like, are you bloating? Here's the perfect greens powder for you. It's going to make you all better. Mm -hmm. And so whether or not that is the actual cause of your bloating, it's going to be like, here's a solution. I can put my money down. I can get a product and I can try something that's going to be potentially helpful. Yeah. And I feel like this is where people fall into a little bit of a trap too, is the marketing is set up so that when there is enough people that are suffering from a particular thing. They so, you know, sort of throw a wide net of, do you have this very generic symptom? Here is your specific answer. And that's sort of the, you know, flag number three. Yeah, 100%. Targeting people that are suffering from something that they are having a really hard time figuring out what is causing it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, at that point, maybe getting more specific with like an expert or like a specialization of a doctor or a dietitian or whatever. But at the same time, yeah, bodies are just like complicated. And, and this sometimes is why I, why I do what I do with the clinicians and the physicians, because I want them to see this is the pathway that's being affected. And if yeah. you take this particular nutrient or do this particular exercise, it might actually help. And so yeah, that's huge. Sort of full circle. Yeah. Right. Instead of just like prescribing like Miralax and <laughs> mm -hmm. calling it a day. 
Um, okay, well, I do kind of want to dig a little deeper on a few of the things that you touched on. So supplementation is also such a tricky one because there are so many different companies out there. And now with like influencer marketing being so huge, you know, you see like the really trendy ones that are just like purchasing a bunch of ad space in popular podcasts or have like the really pretty marketing. But supplements also aren't like really regulated that much. So it's hard to know one, what's even worth taking because even I have been told so many different things by doctors Two, how do we know which ones like which companies we can trust to you know give us quality ingredients and stuff that's actually doing something for our bodies and we're not just like flushing out money every month or whatever so yeah so i love this topic because within my deeper my own personal research a supplementation is something that i'm doing a lot of so i started with vitamin d and now i just got funded to look at cbd which we can talk about in just a yes, second definitely hot. Um, so supplements and particularly, you know, recovery and performance is something that I really focus a lot of my own, um, actual research myself. Um, so I'm going to tell you the dirtiest little secret of the supplement industry. And it's not that it's unregulated, which it is not very regulated at all, but the dirtiest little secret of the supplement industry is that the majority of the ingredients whether you spend $70 for a bottle or $7 from a bottle, all come from the same factories. And most of them are actually somewhere in China or India. That's not to say that they're not safe. They're perfectly safe. And for the most part, and they are, you know, totally fine to use being, you know, coming an imported ingredient is not one thing or another. The important part is if you, pay your PayPal money on your Instagram ad or go to the grocery store and just buy a Centrum, you are getting the exact same ingredients from the exact same factories. So that's good to know. <laughs> yep, yep. So here's the interesting thing. That's for most vitamins, minerals, and herbals. Um, there are, and I will tell you this, there are almost none that are in the United States, like uh, practically none. Um, what is in the United States. So if you buy something that says made in the USA mm-hmm. are the formulators. So okay. the way that the supplement industry works is that you have these formulators. Many of them are based in the U S and this is not nefarious. This is just how the industry works. Yeah. It is that these formulators that are in the U S buy these gigantic bags of ingredients. So your vitamin D, your vitamin C, your magnesium, whatever they buy them from these companies, they import them into the United States. And then they work with specific companies to create the pills, the powders, the shakes, whatever in that particular, you know, recipe or formulation. So if you wanted to start a company and you were like, I specifically want it to be for women and I want to make sure that there's vitamin D and calcium and magnesium Mm -hmm. in this pill, then they will take those ingredients. They will put them in exactly the right amount and they will put it in a pill. And what you pay for as the consumer is the marketing, the Mm -hmm. bottle, the label, um, and somebody's profit somewhere down the line. I will tell you this, this supplement that I recommend to everybody is a multivitamin. I think that everybody should just top off their, you know, uh, vitamins and minerals that you're perhaps not getting from your diets, not, you know, 
your fault. It's just things are mixed in different ways in foods. Top it off. And I will tell you that, and I am not paid by any company. I don't work with any corporations. I don't take mm. any research funding from these companies. Um, you should just take Centrum. Okay. That's go to the grocery uh, store, buy a Centrum. Easy. Yeah. What and about? So the reason, let me, yeah, yeah no, no, you go. Is because um, they're actually owned by GlaxoSmithKline, which is a pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. And the pharmaceutical companies are under a microscope of regulation. And so the likelihood that that particular pill has exactly what you want in it because they're owned by this big company that's constantly under a microscope because they're a pharmaceutical company means that what you buy is probably in the bottle. There was a really interesting study. I think it was done in 2015 and it's been repeated a couple of times where people go into GNC, Walmart, like wherever you buy your supplements from and they bought like 50 different bottles of all this stuff. They tested them and they found out that 95%, 95%, that is not a made up number, 95% did not have what the bottle said. And these were simple things, magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin C weren't actually in the bottle. But so, why are they allowed to lie so much? <laughs> so the problem is that the formulators are, they get spot checked, right? So yeah. some of them are amazing and they're super upstanding companies and they care deeply and they want their product to be outstanding. And some of them are trying to cut corners and make money and nobody's checking on them. So they can sort of do that. And, and what the consumer can't really tell is what, like what the level of testing is that's going on by that company. So they can put out a a thing that says we're third-party tested. We do all things, which is great but they might only test the first batch of every month. Right. And so what's going on in batch from days two to 30 are not tested as they're going out the door. And this is where we start to get into some problems. Yeah, hundred um, percent. What about, what is it called? Like nature's, you know, the one, the yellow top, right? And like yep. the green label. Just harvest, nature's some, valley. Is the nature granola. valley is the crumbly bar, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Do we know anything um, about them? Are they decent? Yeah, I think they're pretty good. I also, if I was going to sort of like give a company that I think is pretty well tested, Thorn is also a pretty good one. Thorn. Okay. Um, and again, I have no, yeah. no financial um, relationship with any of these companies. Um, but I would say just, and this is the hard part, is to, to do your homework to yeah. figure out who is testing these products and don't just rely on their website or their claims on their advertisements, um, I would do a little bit more digging, especially if you're going to spend a lot of money on these. Yeah. Um, as women, besides a multivitamin, is there anything else that you would suggest? Like generally we all need vitamin D I would imagine calcium Vitamin D is a big one. Um, and you can get enough from a multivitamin if you have a good one, but um, others that I would recommend are certainly a vitamin D and not just saying it because I'm a vitamin D researcher, (laughs) but D is actually pretty hard to get from the diet unless you eat really oily fish or a lot of dairy. Mm. Um, And so vitamin D, uh, you make it in your body, which is pretty cool. That's why it's so important. Like your body has redundant ways to get it more than one way. Um, So in addition to getting it from your diet, your body actually makes it because it's so important. However, 
The way that it makes it is by taking a cholesterol molecule that lives in your skin and converts it when the sunlight hits it, which is just such a cool mechanism, right? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Like what? Um, but here's the problem. If you live in Northern latitude, so typically like North of, you know, Washington, DC, that if you just sort of drew a straight line over to like Las Vegas, right? Yeah. North in the winter. So from about October to early April. So right about now. It's us. Yeah. It's us. The sunlight, the wavelength of the sunlight is not at the right wavelength to help convert this cholesterol into vitamin D. So even if you were to dance naked on the common in Boston on a bluebird January day, yeah. you wouldn't make an ounce of vitamin D. So D is actually a pretty critical one, especially in the wintertime. So interesting. Yeah. What about, and magnesium would be in a multivitamin? Yeah, magnesium is in a multivitamin and there are different types of magnesium. So this is where, again, people get like kind of caught up in which is the best magnesium? And the answer is kind of, well, what are you trying to get out of it? So magnesium yeah. is a funny one. There are, uh, magnesium is a highly reactive molecule. So it's going to react with other things. And essentially you get little add-ons to the magnesium that are going to help direct it to different parts of your body. Okay. So um, I can send you a list of exactly which magnesiums help different things, but you're going to have one type of magnesium that can help constipation, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why I take milk of magnesia, right? That will help loosen things up. Yep. Um, there's another that can help you go to sleep. There's another that can help with metabolism. There's mm -hmm. another that can help with muscle strengthening. And so this is where we kind of start to split hairs. And this is right. where I hesitate to get deep into the weeds because I'm like, well, like, do people really need to be taking four different types of magnesium, probably not. Right. Um, if they eat a healthy diet, they take a multivitamin, they're going to get some magnesium in there. The body's going to do with it what it will. If you're really looking and you're having a problem with one of these processes and you're like, I really don't want to take a pharmaceutical, which in my brain, I kind of see supplements as pharmaceuticals, like you're mm -hmm. taking all the health problem. Right. But if you're really looking, then there are slight nuances with some of these vitamins that you can um, start to manipulate a little bit, but even then it's diminishing returns. So the more money that you spend on this stuff, you might see that you fall asleep a little bit better. I like. You might see you just, it does fine with a sort of generic magnesium that you can buy yeah. for nine at the grocery store. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's just like relieving to hear. And I feel like a good philosophy to move forward with, like, you don't need to buy all of these different things that are telling you it's going to do all of these different things and solve problems that you don't even know that you have. If you have an actual problem that you're seeing, explore it. But And remember too, supplements are like the use of them is right in the word. They're mm. supposed to supplement your diet. Yeah. So if you are turning to supplements as pharmaceuticals, which is kind of what we're talking about here, then I would think that you would want to take a step back and realize like, what is it that I'm actually trying to do right? rather than just taking 18 pills in the morning and saying, I'm going to optimize my health today. <laughs> right. Pills. When in fact, what you should probably be doing is looking at your plate and figuring out, can I fix what's going on there? Yeah. First? Where are the gaps? Yeah. So interesting. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about CBD before we run out of time. Yeah. I'm interested to hear about the study that you're doing, but um, 
I would love to hear just your thoughts on like what intrigued you to do this study, the benefits of CBD, all the things, because that's definitely a very popular thing right now. Yeah. So <clears throat> I got interested in this when CBD kind of went super hot a couple of years ago. And I was like, I wonder what this stuff is. Like, how do you, where does it come from? What do you like? How do you use it? Super, you know, expensive to buy. What is it doing? And um, I remember way back, this is probably like five or six years ago now, I was talking to one of the early formulators and they were talking about CBD and I was like, okay, but what does it do? Like, what, are, what does CBD actually do? And he's like, well, have you ever heard of this thing called homeostasis? And I was like, yes, I have. <laughs> You're like, I <laughs> went to school forever. So yes. <laughs> Tell me more. What does that mean? And he's like, well, it just really like balances your body out. And I was like, but I'm a biochemist. Like, tell me like exactly what is it doing? And he was like, well, you know, like it says a lot of things to your body. And I was like, okay, clearly this person has no idea. They're just selling a product, which is fine. Yeah. Great. Totally. People should make money. It's all good. But went back and started to look at it and really started to take a deeper dive because he started to see all these products all over the place that were like salves and tinctures and powders and everything else that you should be taking. And I remember going at the time. Um, and I feel like I can say this because it doesn't, um, play in New England anymore, but I went to the TB12 place. Yeah, on yeah. Street. Is that still open? I think so. Yeah, like, okay. I think his company still exists. Okay. So yeah. I went there to get, you know, they like invited a bunch of us to go yeah. see the facility as it was open. And um, I had just recently like torn the ever living bejesus out of my knee. Mm. And so I had just been recovering from it and I went in and I was working with one of their PTs and their practitioners were amazing. They were super, yeah. super awesome. Um, but they were using a cream that had CBD in it. And I was like, can you tell me more about this? Like, and they were like, well, it's going to help with your recovery. It's going to help your muscles, whatever. And here I am a muscle physiologist. Right. And I'm like, tell me more. How does right, it work? You're like, awesome. How? Yeah. And they're like, it's really going to help. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is a new thing. It's everywhere. It must be doing something. And so then my brain started thinking, okay, exercise, muscle, CBD, like there must be something here because everybody, and then Gronk has his product, you know, he mm. starts a CBD company, whatever. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So um, I went and looked at the data in the literature, which is I'm a jerk. This is what I always do, right? Like I turn to the science and I'm like. But like as we, someone needs to be doing this for yeah, us. Someone needs to do this, right? <laughs> and so, so I go to the data and at the time, so this is probably four or five, six years ago. At the time, I was like, there's going to be something around here. And I'm like searching and I'm searching and I'm searching and I'm searching. And I'm like, there is not a single study, zero not one study on muscle recovery, CBD, or anything else on CBD. Oh, I, when I would I'm tired. It, like <laughs> deep in the searches, I would come up with like 15 studies, 22 studies, depending mm -hmm. on the search terms that I went in. And like, that's compared to if you were to go and search in, you know, PubMed or whatever these um, search engines for uh, research articles are. If you were to look at vitamin D and muscle, for example, you'll come up right. with 25,000 studies, like yeah. tens of thousands. This one, 15, 10. And at the time, the majority of them were in cells. So like in a Petri dish or in animals, in mm. mice and rats. Yeah. And I was like, this is weird. And then it started to come out like CBD is so good for your brain. It's going to give you clarity. And then I, there was this one study that came out that was looking at people that took a little tincture of CBD before they did some public speaking event. Yeah. And it was like, did you feel calm 
during your public speaking event. And that was the study. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You're like, this is. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, all right, like, here's an opportunity, right? Like there is a wide open field here and a ton of products that are on the market. You can literally buy this stuff at the gas station. Yeah, you actually can. You actually can. So then I started, (laughs) this is crazy. So then I started proposing that I was going to do these studies. And as it turns out, I got doors slammed in my face for three years straight because where do you get CBD from? You can either get it from hemp, which is a regulated product or cannabis, mm-hmm. which is not federally regulated. Right. And so I was looking to get a grant because I'd have to buy all the products and pay for the blood tests and everything else. Right. I was looking to get a grant to give people CBD to figure out what the heck is this stuff doing? Right. Every time I went to submit a grant or I went to my IRB, they would say, you can't study this. It's not federally legal. And I was like, you can buy this stuff at the gas station. Right. And I can't study it because I'm not allowed to give it to human beings. This is nuts. So a couple of years go by, a few more studies come out and you could actually appeal to the uh, the government essentially to get a particular product that you could give to people, but you had to be of a really, really large research institution in order to do that. Mm-hmm. And I was not. Um, and so a couple of studies are trickling out, none up until this point still in humans and muscles. And so there are a couple of studies that are starting to come out and they're like, how, one of the first things that's really important to look at when you look at supplements is does it actually get into your body? Right? So that's step number one is right. kind of, are blood. we just peeing it right out? Exactly. <laughs> And so um, a couple of studies I remember way back in the day was like, you know, back when I started looking, we're looking at, does this stuff get into, you know, into your system at at any level? And there was a couple of that looked at humans and they were looking to see what the kinetics were, if they actually, you know, absorbed it. And I think the data at the time was something like of whatever you take, and this Mm -hmm. is kind of important up to kind of a high limit is about 20% of what you actually ingest gets into your system. But here's the funny part. You, I, there I was at TB12 getting yeah. my massage with my CBD oil. And there was no data in humans looking at salves and CBD. And if it actually crossed the skin and got into your blood, there was only one study in dogs. <laughs> and as it turned out, dogs absorbed a little bit. I think it was a, at the, the data at the time was a little bit more from their skin than they did dogs. It's not human. Right. But if they gave them orally as opposed, so you could say like all these CBD products that are for dogs, like they're tested on dogs actually. So so that's, yeah. So probably not. That's reassuring. BS to our anxious dogs out there. Exactly. So up until this day right now, and I just got a grant funded to look at CBD in humans and the grant is pretty cool. We're going to look at active adult women uh, between the ages of 18 and 40. So pre-menopausal because hormones have a significant effect and changing hormones have a significant effect on muscle and muscle recovery. So we're looking at active adult females. And the reason for that is in the global sense of sports medicine literature, only about 6% of data is on females. So everything that we are being told for the most You're part- You're blowing is, my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's being done on men. Um, so we're going to do females. We're going to look at females. I'm not giving CBD yet. Um, we're still in the regulatory process where we're trying to figure out how much can we give and how much 
are we not allowed to give, which is why it's so important to do this data. So what we're doing is we're surveying 150 people to understand utilization practices. So how are people actually getting CBD? Are they taking it in tinctures? How much are they taking? Are they rubbing it on their skin? And what are they feeling like it's doing for them? Are they actually seeing relief? Or are they like, "Ah, I tried it for a month and nothing happened? Or are they saying, I tried it for a month and I had to stop because this negative thing happened. We don't have any of that data. Yeah. And so then from those 150 people or more, if I can get 150,000 people, that would even be better. Um, From there, we have 24 people that we're going to actually take their blood. So these are people that use CBD, 12 of them, and people that don't use CBD. And we're going to actually look at what's going on in their blood. So back to my marketer, my guy that had the product that was like, it helps with homeostasis. (laughs) Like we're actually going to look at the markers of homeostasis. We're going to look at hormones. We're going to look at inflammatory markers. We're going to look at proteins and we're going to see, is there a difference between these two groups? But more importantly, the next step of this data is to actually give people CBD Mm -hmm. because as of this moment right now, you can look it up. There are three studies that look at administering CBD to humans in the sense of looking for uh, exercise recovery or muscle recovery. There are others, although not many, we're still in the like hundreds of studies, Yeah, Uh, not a lot. Um, Three in humans looking at muscle recovery or basis. So we're looking at women um, because none of those three studies looked at women. And the other thing that we're trying to figure out by these utilization surveys is to figure out what's the appropriate dose. Because here's the fascinating thing, of those three studies, I'm I'm gonna blow your mind, are you ready? Whether they gave it as a salve, which two of the studies did that, or they gave it as a tincture, Mm -hmm. no effect, none. (laughs) So here's my theory, My my hypothesis is CBD does something. I do believe that it does. I I think that there is something going on there. The physiology is pretty compelling. What it's actually doing, we don't know. It does not bind to the receptors that your endogenous cannabinoids make. So you make what looks an awful lot like CBD in your body. Like Mm -hmm. um, we used to call them endorphins back in the day. Yeah. Um, What we think is that they're endocannabinoids or the sort of looks a little bit like CBD that you internally make in your body. Um, They don't bind those receptors. CBD doesn't bind those receptors. So what exactly it's doing for muscle or muscle recovery, it's pretty unclear. So we're eventually going to try and figure that out. But what I need to figure out first is what's the right dose. So what I don't want to do is spend $500,000 on a study giving you 25 milligrams only to figure out you actually need 700 milligrams in order to have an effect. So this is the first steps of the study here is to really stepwise understand what CBD is doing, how much do we need to give, how do we give it, is it tincture, is it salve, and then what is it actually doing once it gets into your body. So it's research is frustrating to people because it takes a really long time because you have to look at it in a stepwise fashion. You can't just get a bunch of people and be like, oh, we're going to give you some CBD and figure out what's going on. Um, so the cool thing is, is that I will be one of the very first researchers to ever look at this, which is from a scientific standpoint, just a really cool, so cool. Yeah. So cool. yeah. And it's important work. I feel like there, 
I mean, CBD right now is so popular, so buzzy. There are so many companies coming out of the woodwork and people kind of just like trust those same like blanket statements, homeostasis, it's going to help with my anxiety. It's going to help with sleep and, you know, putting things into their body, spending their hard earned money. And a lot of times with, you know, different diets, different products, they claim these studies. And then when you really look into it, it's like, there were seven people and they asked them one question and, yeah. you know, so totally. I commend you. That's, it's amazing. And that's like where I kind of see my job too. So like I do my research and I have my sort of professional research and teaching career, but my life's purpose and mission is to get this information out to the people that want it and can use it. So, you know, my CBD studies, like I want the New York times to pick this up and show like, this is what CBD is doing. This is what it is. And it's, and this is based on the data, not just, you know, let's put it on a shelf somewhere where a bunch of other scientists can look at it because this is something, and I say this all the time, like scientists suck at Instagram. Like we need to get better at saying what our, our results actually say so that people can have education sort of fundamentals to underpin, like that's a bullshit headline or like that's impossible or this really important study actually showed something different Right. Um, in ways that people that don't study biochemistry can understand. Like if somebody, my, I'm pretty good at science, but if somebody tried to explain the physics of a bridge to me, I'd be like, no, I, I got nothing. You like, yeah. I'm so glad you have an engineering degree because I could, I got nothing. You're not going to be able to explain that. Yeah. in a way that I can understand. But what I think is really important is how do we take this information that's being generated in the lab and give it to people, whether it's the practitioners, like the fitness and wellness yeah. space, or if it's just the consumer themselves so that they're empowered to make really good decisions. Yeah, I agree. Cause it's not helping anyone if it's just staying within the circles, you know, exactly. We need to make that Venn diagram. Yes. It all comes back. Um, okay. We're going to do a super fast rapid fire and then that's it. An hour flew by. Um, okay. A food that you could eat every single day for the rest of your life. Chocolate ice cream. Mm, Yep. Feel that. Any toppings? Red red wine. Does red wine count? I mean, sure. Why not? Yeah. Into that. Together. Together would be good. Um, a food that you would like to never eat again. Steamed broccoli. (laughs) Yes. I feel that very Roast hard. Roast it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, blanket nutrition advice that everyone should know. If you could tell everyone just one thing. Fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Keep it easy. Yep. Um, and then finish the sentence. I'm almost always. Optimistic. Oh, I love that. Love that. All right. Well, hype yourself up. Where can everyone find you? push out your website, anything you're working on, all the things. Yeah. So you can find me personally, and this is where I push out um, a lot of fun, just myth busting stuff. So I'm on social, pretty much everything, Twitter, Instagram, not TikTok. I haven't gotten into that one yet, although I- <sighs> So difficult. Not, I know. Um, I'm just my first and last name. So it's at Rachel Pajednik. You'll have to put it out there because it's- I'll, I'll add it to the, the show notes and everything. <laughs> Or you can get at me in a kind of an easier way to find. So my website is uh, strongprocess.com. I'm also on social at strongprocess. 
and you can link to the nutrition fundamentals course through the strong process website. Okay. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. Keep an eye on both of those spaces because that's where we're going to be doing a lot of advertising for this study. So if you yes. want to be part of this science and you are an active woman between the ages of 18 and 40, not pregnant or lactating, then um, you're in. CBD there users, uh, we need all of the information from everybody so that we can get a good understanding as to what's going on here. So yeah. keep an eye on the spaces to participate in the research. I will link to it all. And I feel like there are so many people, literally so many people I know that take CBD every single day. So I feel like they will be very intrigued. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's working. I just want to figure out what is it doing and how much. How much? Totally. And like, I'm sure certain companies are better than others and all of that. So it'll be so interesting. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it so, so much. And I will talk to you soon. Oh, thank you so much. I always enjoy sharing the knowledge across our spaces. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Build with Brabeck podcast. Stay connected on Instagram at Build with Brabeck and our website, www.buildwithbrabeck.com. Show a little love by rating and reviewing, sharing with your friends, and of course, subscribing so you don't ever miss an episode. Until next week, keep on building.